Uh, one of the things, too, that I wanted to mention that's going on this weekend is that we've got a small group of teens and sponsors at the Carolina Christian Youth Convention this weekend. Uh, so they're actually worshiping with about 1,800 of their closest friends and peers uh, this morning, uh, which, is, which is pretty cool. If you would, they're traveling back um, today. So if you would, at some point today, pray for uh, sponsors to like, have, still have their sanity by the time they get back. Uh, no, that's not, not what I meant, uh, that they have a good trip back, and uh, we're looking forward to... It's been quiet this weekend, it's, and uh, that, that was nice. Uh, so it was, it was, uh, it's been a good trip. We've heard from them, and uh, so we're really excited. This is kind of an opportunity for them to, uh, uh, to be together, to learn, to worship, go through different workshops and stuff. So we're uh, praying for uh, their, their faith uh, to grow from this experience. If you're a fan of sports at all, I, I get ESPN alerts on my phone because I, I don't, it doesn't necessarily matter what the sport is. I want to kind of keep up with, with what's going on. Did you guys hear about Caitlin Clark breaking the record this past week, Thursday night? I actually watched some of the game. I had a couple other uh, games that I was coaching and then watching uh, for my kids for basketball, but um, I watched some of the game. Did anybody see any of that? Did you see the record-breaking shot? So Caitlin Clark is this phenom. Um, and she's hitting like logo threes from, from way, way beyond the arc. And that's how she broke the record. Just this incredible thing. Not only did she do that, but she also broke the program record for the single game. So she scored 49 points to, to do this this past Thursday night. Just incredible achievement. Uh, super impressive feat worth taking note of. Of course, Nike, Nike was ready for the ad campaign. campaign. Did anybody see what this was? You, you break it, you own it. Which you see what ah uh, you you see what they did there, don't you? Like kind of clever. I, I I enjoyed that. I can't imagine what it feels like to reach a pinnacle for what you do in life. I know y'all are shocked. Wait, Rob, you haven't done that in in your life? <laughs> no, I haven't broken any records uh, yet. Maybe not for anything that I want to break. Anyway, um, it's a rare and a singular occurrence. You know, only one person has ever done it, and until the next person does it. <laughs> Kelsey Plum had just done this like just a few years ago. And at some point down the road, and, and don't get me wrong, Caitlin Clark is a generational talent. It's amazing. It would be incredible to see what she does. But, but that was what was so interesting to me about the whole celebration at the end is that it really wasn't a whole lot about the scoring record. D don't get me wrong. They celebrated that. But constantly when she was asked and they were talking about her uh, and people were talking about how, how cool this achievement was, they were talking about the next thing. Well, oh man, this, this is incredible. You broke the scoring record, but man, I wonder how deep Caitlin Clark's going to take Iowa into the NCAA tournament. You know, March Madness is, is coming up, which I'm look, always look forward to. How far is she going to take the Hawkeyes? And, and what is her impact on the women's game? You know, how, how, you know brought, how much attention is she bringing to it? And what's going to be her legacy? And, and how many championships is she going to win for the WNBA? Which all of that is fine, but I just think it's interesting. She just accomplished this incredible feat, but even like right there in the moment, we still can't help but thinking about, well, what's next? What, what are you going to do next? What have you done? What have you done for me lately? And sometimes down the, the, the road, uh, the r lines of ownership kind of get blurred and you're left wondering who really owns what? Does she own the record or does the record own her? You know, you break it, you own it. It's just kind of an interesting way of thinking about that, especially the way that we typically treat those kinds of things. You don't have to be uh, uh, the goat in your respective field, or you don't have to break records to wonder about this. You could ask the same about your material possessions. You know, who, who owns my house? <laughs> do I own my house, or 
Does my house own me? Because there's a lot of things that my house needs done, and I don't want to do them when I have to do them, and yet i, I got to get it done. Who, who owns what? Or maybe your job. You know, do you own your career? Or does, does your career own you? Or your family? Or your hobby? Or your calendar? Who owns your calendar and your schedule? Is it you or is it everybody else? Or, <laughs> or your phone? Do you own your phone? You could always look at your screen time app and turn that on to decide who owns what when it comes to that. How about your worry? Who owns that? You own it or does your worry own you? You get the idea. And a lot of self-help and pop psychology is going to try to help you figure out how to master each of those things. You can be the master in control and plan out your life perfectly if you really, really, really try. But somehow it always falls short of providing a solution for why even when all of those things in life are firmly in your grasp, Things like hope and peace and sustainable joy can slip right through our fingers. The life we seek to build will only be as good as the foundation upon which we build it. And whatever is built on temporary achievements will have temporary good results, but without much to show for it later down the road. Even Caitlin Clark's record, and I'm not, seriously, I'm not saying this to, to poo-poo anything. It's an amazing NCAA record. You know why they have to say NCAA record? Because it's not the record for the highest point total in women's co college basketball. That belongs to somebody else. Over the last couple weeks in the book of Genesis, we've had a broad overview of how lack of trust in God requires him to respond with justice and judgment. And yet, despite that, he chooses to give grace so that we can choose to trust again. God does this through a series of covenants in which he calls for his creation to agree with him in a common shared purpose that redeems us and re-engages us with our purpose and our entire reason for being, why God created us. And this is made all the more evident as we keep moving through Genesis with the covenant that God makes with Abraham. Abraham is the, the patriarch of the promise that would become the nation of Israel, and yet that's not just what Abraham's life was all about. It was about much more, even he would ever know. What makes Abraham so special was not the destiny he created for himself, however. It was that Abraham gave himself to the life God had created for him. And this is how it all begins. This is in Genesis chapter 12, and we're going to be um, pulling out some chunks of Scripture from several different chapters uh, in, in Genesis. But we're going to start in Genesis chapter 12, and this is, uh, this is where it began. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they sent out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Now, I know we, were talking, we said we were going to talk about Abraham, so who's this Abram guy? Uh, there's this thing that happens with several different people throughout Scripture that when God makes a covenant and establishes a life-changing event with them, sometimes their names get changed. So Abram becomes Abraham. Uh, his grandson's name would be changed. Jesus uh, changes Peter's name from Simon or Simeon. Maybe you remember that. Or sometimes the most famous one that we think about in the New Testament is this happens with Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament. And Jesus changes his name from Saul to Paul. It signifies this transformative change in the plan that God has uh, for his life. And Abram's name is changed to Abraham based on this covenant that God makes with him that his family will be the people that eventually become the nation of, of Israel. 
Now, the reason that Abraham became this patriarch is because his response to God and his call and his plan and his will for his life was as simple as the circumstances that surrounded his life were complicated. It's represented there, right there in Genesis chapter 12, 12, verse 4. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. God made a promise for Abraham's future that only God could fulfill, and Abraham believed that God would do it. There's certainly a cost that was going to be paid for this to be the case. God told Abraham to leave everything that was familiar and comfortable and safe and family and his possessions. I'm sure he took some of that with him, but he could only take but so much behind and head east to go over there. And I'm going to show you when you get there where you're supposed to be. Abraham was 75 years old when this happened. He had an entire life established, a foundation built of his own, and God uprooted all of that and changed all of it for him. And yet Abraham's response was simple. As complicated as the situation is, Abram went as the Lord told him. And because of this, because there's this grand thing that Abraham did in his life, I think it's easy for most Christians to kind of distance themselves from understanding how applicable Abraham's response to God's call in his life really is for all of us. Because sometimes we look at that and we think, oh man, these people in Scripture are talked about because they do these amazing things for God, which is, which is not actually true at all. This type of covenantal relationship with God is not reserved for people who start nonprofits and make broad, sweeping, charitable changes in their communities, or people who move to foreign countries and become missionaries, or people who make vocational commitments to ministry and service. But instead, it's a reflection of the way that God creates all of humanity, all of humanity to experience a life of promise in which there's a plan and a purpose and a future for every single one of us. It's easy to get caught in evaluating ourselves and in comparing ourselves with others and thinking, well, Abraham makes this grand gesture and so he must be more holy and faithful and generous than I am rather than being content with the fact that God calls each and every one of us to live the lives we each have as a unique reflection of the promises he has for all people. A life of promise is simply built on a foundation of obedience. And this is something that Abraham models for not just the nation of Israel as as the patriarch, but for every single one of us. And when it comes to how our lives are measured when they are complete, I'm placing my hope that it may be said of me wherever life might take me, So Rob went, as the Lord had told him. The principles here aren't rooted in geographical location, but in whose plan we're invested in for the future. A big move often gets the attention, but what really matters is what you do when you get there. Uh, Seth, my my, uh, son Seth and I, he hadn't seen the movie Moneyball yet. Have any of y'all, have y'all seen that? It came out quite a while ago. Um, It's based on a true story with the Oakland Athletics. I know, hey, spring training has started, so we can, talk, we can talk about baseball. It's fine. Football's over. I'm sorry. It's, it, it happened. It's done. Some of us are glad for that. Some of us are sad for that. Some of us are, you know, ready to ramp up for hope for the next season. Uh, but we are, we are kind of getting into baseball season here. Uh, Oakland Athletics in 2002 had the 20, 28 out of 30 teams, had the 28th, were 28th in how much money they were spending on their salaries. Okay, so it had the lowest cost whatsoever. They also broke the game-winning streak record for Major League Baseball during that season, winning 20 games. And the reason this happened, and this is, this is what the movie is all about, and it's, it really happened. It's not, not a spoiler alert. alert. Um, 
But basically, the, uh, Billy Bean, the general ma manager of the Oakland, Oakland Athletics, really dove into using sabermetrics. This is what really kind of put sabermetrics on the map. And some of you have no clue what I'm talking about, and it's perfectly fine. Uh, but it's just how you th think about and value players. So, oh, here's this guy over here. He hits, you know, 500 home runs every season, uh, which is not a thing. Um, and so he, he must be amazing. And yet, if his team loses every single game, Maybe he's not as valuable as he seems, and maybe moving that piece around maybe not work. But if this guy over here, he gets walked every other at-bat, and he's always on base, and, and we can get an RBI off of this guy every single time he shows up to the plate, maybe he has a little bit more value. And so it's a whole different way of conceiving like what we do. And so you think about all the, and maybe you don't think about this at all, but I do sometimes, and, and I enjoy talking about this kind of stuff with my buddies. Uh, but you think about the, the hundreds of millions of dollars somebody can get played, paid to play a game, which is, yes, I'm jealous. I, I mean, let's, let, let's be honest. Um, but how, how amazing that is and how quickly all of that can be derailed by somebody getting into a slump or, uh, or an injury. I mean, for me... Um, I'm a Washington Nationals fan when it comes to baseball. We won the World Series in 2019, and we gave um, one of our pitchers this massive contract. Well, he has, like, irreversible nerve damage in his elbow now and can't play or pitch anymore. And so you think, of oh, all that money is tied up, and they want to restructure his contact and stuff, uh, contract and all that kind of stuff, but it's guaranteed money. And so you think about it, well, how, how valuable is that really to you? It doesn't matter like the big move that you make and getting the big contract, but it matters what, what you do when you get there with that. And when things don't go the way we expect or they're or just genuinely bad in our lives, when we try to own that ourselves and regain control, we get pretty mixed results. And this happens to Abraham constantly throughout his life. I'm not, I mean, we're not going to read about his entire life, but I would encourage you to read. Basically, if you read Genesis, the end of Genesis chapter 11 through chapter 25, you'd get, um, get a really good synopsis of Abraham's life. And that pretty much spans his entire life. Um, and, and you would see that even though uh, Abraham has this strong faith, he went, as the Lord tells him, there are plenty of times in his life where things don't go the way that you might expect or that he expected, that he tried to gain control over himself, and things did not go well at all. As you keep reading about Abraham's life, we see this pop up a few times. His nephew Lot comes along with him. Lot wasn't really that bright, I guess. Um, Lot made some pretty poor decisions. One of them was um, that when Abraham and he became too big to live next to each other, Abraham gave him the choice of where he wanted to live. And, Abra and Lot said, I want to live in the best possible place I can, the most fertile place, which is great for him. You would think that would be pretty wise. It just ha so happened that's where everybody else wanted to be too. And so Lot's neighbors weren't all that great. Uh, you can read more about that. Um, and then there are other people, later on your own if you want, and there are other people who wanted to be where the, Lot, where the people that Lot was near uh, wanted to be too. So like at one point, Lot, he gets kidnapped. He gets taken. All of his stuff gets taken. Abraham has to, uh, you know, put together a crack team of commandos to go. And it's, it's, it, it's in the Bible. It says command. No, it doesn't say commandos. Um, and they have to go and, like, fight, and they have to rescue Lot and bring him back. Lot, Lot creates all kinds of problems for, for Abraham. You know, things just don't uh, go the way that you expect with having family tag along with you. Um, or maybe they did. Maybe they went exactly as he expected. Abraham is getting on in years. He's 75 when this starts. By the time he's in his 90s, he's thinking he doesn't have a kid yet. He's thinking, God, maybe... <laughs> 
Maybe you've forgotten about this. I, I don't know. Or, do, you know how, do you know how this works? And, and I'm not sure if this is going to work out the way that you want. Um, is it po- even possible that God is going to fulfill this promise because he doesn't have a kid yet? Well, his wife was really helpful. Some of you know the story, I can tell. Because she says, hey, you know, Hagar's over here. Um, and she's, uh, you know, she's kind of my maidservant, and uh, she's of childbearing age, so maybe God, what he really wants you to do is have a kid with her, and you should try that out and see what's going on. Um, I don't know why, but it, when this happens in Scripture, um, by the way, it's not like a, this is how you should do things. <laughs> it's not an example of how things should go. It's an example of how we do dumb things when we take control over our lives. And we make silly decisions. And it's always interesting to me how the, uh, the guys never s- t- seem to protest very much uh, when, when this option com- comes up. They kind of go right through with it. And, uh, and Hagar has Ishmael. Abraham has Ishmael with Hagar, uh, which, um, you know, this never ends well, especially when you consider historical, histor- historically speaking, most people place Ishmael as the father of Arabian peoples and how, you know, the family feud uh, still hasn't quite gotten better as we've gone on. If you think this is bizarre behavior from Sarah, uh, wait till you see that Abraham, not once, but twice, uh, asked Sarah to lie about being his wife and allowed other powerful men to take her for their own. He does this two, on two separate occasions. And so you wonder, you know, what in the world are you thinking? I guess it was kind of in this really disturbing way, kind of romantic, because his argument was, I can't imagine being there for the conversation. He's like, you're really pretty. And we're traveling to these other places. And uh, somebody might kill me because of you. Because you're, honey, you're so attractive. I mean, hear me out, hear me out. You're so attractive. Could you just tell people you're my sister so they will leave me alone and not try to take you from me? I mean, just just really bizarre behavior. And the reason I think scripture includes these kind of details is because the idea here is not to this patriarch, right? This, this revered figure in history, in religious history, um, is to, is to let us know, man, this is, this is not like God's picked this person because of this grandiose gesture that they're willing to fulfill in their life. And they do all these amazing, incredible things. And that's why God picks them and uses them. He's like, no, check, check out this guy. God's even willing to use, use him. And despite this promise that God makes for his life, Abraham makes terrible decisions that seemingly should, you would think, derail God's plan for his life. And sometimes I think we put ourselves in that category. It's like, no, I've do, done too many things in my life. There's no way that God could use me, could have a plan and a promise and a future with me that would be like this. But the way that Abraham is remembered is actually found in the midst of the crazy parts of his life. Because despite doing all the dumb things that he did, and despite us doing all the dumb things that we do, then when all the temporary things that he set up in his life kind of crumbled down around him, he found himself resting on the foundation of God's promise in his life. In his life. He went back to that. He didn't uproot that foundation and move on to something else. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, we read, Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Paul even uses this as an example. Abraham's life has continued to talk about in the New Testament. Paul uses this as an example for the Christians in Rome, and how ultimately the trajectory of Abraham's life was toward where God was leading him. Way back from the beginning. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. 
In Romans chapter 4, verse 19, this is what Paul writes about Abraham's life. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact, that, talking about Abraham, that his body was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. He did try to take charge of it a couple times, and that didn't work out well. But was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. And this is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. While not perfect, Abraham displayed a particular type of resiliency that was sustained by God and matched God's resilient plan for his life, a steady faith that was built on a foundation of God's plans and his promises. And just as Paul says here in Romans 4, it's a faith that we're called to match in kind on the foundation that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection gives all of humanity so that all of us could be welcomed into the family of God. Abraham no, I had no idea how expansive God's promises and plan for his life truly was and how far into the future it would impact humanity. But he didn't need to know all that to be faithful, to trust. He could have saved himself and a lot of people a lot of trouble if he hadn't tried to take matters into his own hands. But that's what's so unique and special about how God fulfills his covenants, his promises. We don't change the course of his will as much as we might try sometimes. It's we who are meant to be changed by his promises. After uh, many of these poor decisions that Abraham had made and all of these crazy circumstances in his life, in Genesis chapter 17, um, God approaches Abram, and this is where we find his name change. In Genesis chapter 17, verse 3, Abram fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. The legacy of faith that Abraham built was not about his ability to fulfill God's promises in his own life. It was about God's ability to fulfill God's promises in Abraham's. Abraham's responsibility was simply to put his life in a posture of obedience. The reason his belief was credited to him as righteousness is that when the things he built up crumbled, he kept finding himself back at the basis of his position in his life. And this, that, that is that the promises God has planned for us are unshakable. We're a different story. We, we are shakable. Um, and, and sometimes it's because God's promises come at a cost. You know, when you have to go in a direction you didn't expect or uh, you have to realize that you have to give up your own plans, that maybe your plans weren't all that great to begin with and God has something much better for you. Um, and sometimes it's just stuff that we don't know what the future holds and, and what to expect and what God is doing. Um, there are a couple different things that God uh, has an interaction with Abraham about that I, I'm not... <laughs> I'm not going to spend time this morning trying to explain away some of the monumental, significant choices that Abraham had to make to be faithful to God's call in his life. Later on in Genesis chapter 17, the sign of the covenant that God gives Abraham is circumcision. 
keep, keep in mind, like Abraham is not a young man. This is not like happening when he's a baby where he has no memory of, of this. This is like, oh, yes, me and all my household to be faithful to the sign of the covenant that God's promise has been that, like, we're, we're going to follow through with this, and Abraham does. And then later on in Genesis chapter 22, God says, you know, Isaac, the son of the promise, you know, you're, you're this, the, the one son that you're supposed to, you're supposed to have, like, I, I want you to sacrifice him. Um, the seemingly impossible decision, you know, that, that Abraham is given a couple different times in his life um, to sacrifice one's own child. I, um, I know it seems for us like child sacrifice is kind of so far removed um, from our experience. It's really not as far removed as we think. Um, at, at this point in time, though, uh, in Abraham's day and age when Moses is writing, like ch- child sacrifice was a little bit more normative where people would say, hey, if you, you really want to show your faithfulness to God, you sacrifice what should be most precious, precious to you. But the sharp distinction, as you, as you keep reading in Genesis chapter 22, is that God doesn't require us to kill what is most precious to us to prove our faith. But instead, Jesus sacrifices himself to be a living sacrifice on our, on our behalf. But the fact that Abraham's actions showed that he wasn't going to allow his own plans for his own life and his own son to overshadow God's is what brought Abraham to the place where God's covenant promises would be fulfilled in and through him. And that's how we get to Genesis chapter 22 and verse 15. After all of that, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. All nations on earth are blessed through this type of faithfulness, this foundation, um, this, this obedience that's built on the foundation of God's plans and promises for the future. And all nations will be blessed because of Jesus, because that is, that is what ultimately, this is the plan that God had all along. It wasn't just for Abraham to have a kid and to be prosperous for his own family's sake. It's so that all nations, everyone, all of humanity can be blessed on earth. And because of Jesus, we can be called children of God as well. I am grateful that as Christians, when we say yes to Jesus, um, we respond with the sign of baptism and not circumcision. Like when we're, when we're adults, I'm very grateful for that. But we're also called to be a part of the same plan for blessing to other people on earth that Abraham was. I don't know if Paul had this promise in mind when he wrote Philippians chapter 2, um, but I think there's an easy connection to make there. So I'm going to read a chunk of Philippians chapter 2, starting verse 12, and, and you'll see why when I get to verse 15. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. The thing about the the covenant promise is that your, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky, the sand on the seashore. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. 
Even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. God is faithful to his promises no matter how many times that we, on purpose or accidentally, uh, seemingly mess them up and derail them. And Abraham's life is an example of this, how his consistent obedience and the foundation of what God had for him kept him going in the right direction. And his plan for us through the salvation of Jesus and through the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit as people who have been saved by Christ is to be the fulfillment of his purpose in the lives of those around us who have not yet been in a position to follow God's call for their life, to be the stars in the sky that through our obedience and faithfulness shine on the plan that God has for each and every one of us, for all of humanity, not just not just the patriarchs, not just these, these special people that are written about in Scripture. God is faithful to fulfill his promises. May we be resilient and obedient in living them out. You might end up in a different place than you expect, but in the long term, it will be better than anything that you could have planned. Let's pray. God, we thank you for uh, just real, raw um, lives of, of people who show us what faithful, faithfulness to you look, looks like, despite um, our own intentional sin and mistakes and um, just taking, taking matters into our own hands. God, help us to, to recognize that uh, the plan that, that you want to fulfill for all of us is so much better than when we take charge ourselves. Um, it's, there's so much more fulfillment and when things blow up in our face as they inevitably do whether it's because of us or someone else or, or just the way that life tends to go in a world that's broken by sin God we just ask that you uh, help us to remember to, to turn back to who you are and who you call us to be it's in Jesus name we pray Amen <laughs>